Our scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 through chapter 12, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 11, 30 through 12, 10. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, the Pew Bible in front of you, please use it. It looks just like this, and it's on page 970. Page 970 is where we'll be reading. Beginning with uh, chapter 11, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artis was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should boast, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The words of the Apostle Paul this morning, Father, we thank you for the guidance of Scripture. We thank you for the blessing that is to be together this morning to be under the preaching of your word. And we pray now that you would be with Pastor Toby as he ministers to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we begin, I want to just say a couple of things to you who are members. One is that um, in your mailboxes today is a a deacon election form, and you'll notice that there are a large number of names on there. uh, To clarify, we don't have that many men who are rotating out of service as deacons. Our goal this year, you will also notice that there are men on there that have not served as a deacon of our congregation to this point. We are very thankful for that. I am excited about uh, the way that God is raising up younger men, not only for this particular service, but in the ways that they are taking on uh, 
teaching responsibilities and other things like that. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, so, but our desire is to bring these men into the body of deacons rather than just handing them and saying, well, this is what you're supposed to do. Good luck with that. Uh, we're going to have them come in and walk alongside the deacons who have been serving for longer and learn how to do these ministries. So there will be a larger than normal number of deacons, but in the long run, we feel that this will be a great benefit to our congregation. Um, and any man who served as a deacon and had that done to them handed it to them and said, well, good luck with this. Uh, they know the value in that kind of thing. Uh, but also the second thing that you'll find in your mailbox that I wanted to mention is a card. I have mentioned our goals for 2020 a couple of times. I'm going to mention them again. You may as well get used to it. Uh, our goals are that we will commit or to commit to daily Bible reading and prayer individually, that we will commit to being an active part of a growth group or Sunday school class, each one of us, that we will all commit to having two people or families into our homes that we do not know already, uh, that we will also seek to pray for and engage with the gospel one other person in the year 2020, each of us with one person. And then our goal is that each first Sunday of the month we would have at least 75 people here for our prayer meeting on, Sunday, on the first Sunday night of the month. Now that is in, what, uh, four weeks? Is that right? 15, 22, 29, 5. Yep. So, um, so that's in four weeks. So just go ahead and knock that off your calendar, all right? Um, uh, so anyway, those two things I wanted to let you know of. There is a card there, but on, the only thing you should turn into the kiosk is the deacon election form. On the 22nd of December, two weeks from today, is when we will collect those commitment cards, but we are going to collect them in the service as part of the worship service that day, we will all commit to these things together. So if you forget it, we are going to have extras here. The card is there so you can begin to look over it, consider what your commitment will be. All right? Fair enough. It is good to be back. I hope you had a uh, good Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, we did. Um, and uh, it is a wonderful time uh, of year to be able to see people you don't see as often, um, but it's also good to be home, isn't it? It's also good to be home. Christianity is very often counterintuitive. It does not jive with our natural way of thinking. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. Real leaders want to serve, not to be served. What about this one from Ecclesiastes 7? It's better to go to a funeral than to a feast with much laughter. To die is gain. It just doesn't match with the natural way that we think, does it? 
And yet we run across it here again in 2 Corinthians 12. When I am weak, then I am strong. That makes no sense whatsoever to our natural way of thinking. When I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul, as you recall, is writing this entire letter because he's seeking to win back the Corinthian Christians. They have wandered, not only from their relationship to him, but into relationship with false apostles who have their eye, who have their ear, who have their loyalty. And Paul is seeking to call them back. And one of the great tactics in that day to gain a following was boasting. And since chapter 12, Paul has been taking up this uh, action of boasting. And last week in chapter 11, you heard he was exposing the, these false apostles for what they really are, that even as Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, these characters are doing the same. And now he's boasting, but Paul turns boasting on his head, doesn't it? On its head. He doesn't, he's not going to boast in his strength. He's going to boast in his weakness. The very first verse we read says that. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he goes on to tell of the time that you can read about in Acts chapter 9 when he's in Damascus and uh, quite frankly his, his life is being threatened and if, if it weren't for his friends lowering him out a window in a basket, he'd be dead. Aren't you impressed? This was no Chuck Norris action by the Apostle Paul. You know, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not Bruce Lee fighting his way out of Damascus. He's more like Moses needing to be let down as a bas in a basket, helpless. And then as chapter 12 opens, Paul's commitment to boast in his weakness is explained and it's clarified. And here's what we learn. God gives us weakness so we can know his strength. You say, now wait a second, is that a typo? Don't you mean God allows weakness so we can seek His strength? Isn't that what you meant to type? No, it's not. God gives us weakness so we can know His strength. That's what chapter 12, the first 10 verses teaches us. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? It's not what you would expect. Well, it is rather surprising, so let's talk about it. First, looking at God's surprising gift to the Apostle Paul. He begins uh, chapter 12 with something that in his day, and quite frankly in our day, would be big-time boasting material, all right? Visions and revelations of the Lord. This is something to talk about, isn't it? I mean, if you want to sit around and hear testimonies, this is the kind of testimony you want to hear, beginning in verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And you can just feel the hush go over the crowd, can't you? I know a man who was caught up to heaven 
Whoa. What did he see? What did he hear? What is this third heaven? Well, the third heaven, the, the heavens were divided into a, a three layers, if you will. The first heaven being the atmosphere of the earth. The second heaven being beyond earth, what we call outer space. And then that which is beyond both of those. The third heaven is the very dwelling place of God. Another way to talk about it is to call it paradise. Paradise. You notice, did you notice the parallel? He's caught up to the third heaven. He's caught up into paradise. These aren't two different things. These are the same thing. Now, the word here for paradise is only used a couple more times in the New Testament. The one you'll remember most is in Luke chapter 23 as Jesus is hanging on the cross and the thief pleads for mercy, pleads that Jesus will remember him. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise, in the very dwelling place of God. Now, isn't it interesting? Paul doesn't really understand the nature of this experience, does he? Do you know that many Bible studies, many small group Bible studies would sit around and try to speculate about what this was like? Well, I wonder what it was like. He was, Paul didn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. What do you think? You think he was in the body or out of the body? What do you think happened? I wonder what he heard and speculations about what he saw and speculations about what he heard. Do you know the one person in the small group Bible study who would not participate in that conversation? Paul. Hopefully the small group leader. <laughs> He's not exactly sure how it all happened. But whatever he saw and whatever he heard, he said it's nothing he's meant to share. Isn't that interesting? He says, man, he heard things that cannot be uttered, which man, that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In other words, Paul did not finish this, these visions and revelations from the Lord and write a book about going to heaven and back. Isn't that interesting? He didn't start a speaking tour. How you too can have visions and revelations from the Lord. He tucked it away. We have no clue. This is the only time he mentions this. We have no clue what he saw or heard. Do you know what's going on here? The Apostle Paul does not believe that ecstatic experience is the basis for a successful ministry. That this is the place that power resides. That you must have one of these kinds of things if you're really going to be effective. No, what does he say in verse 6, the second half? He says he wants no one to think more of him than he sees in him and hears from him. He basically says, I want them to look at my life and hear my message, and that's sufficient. Isn't this exactly what he told Timothy, by the way? He said, make, make sure everybody can see your progress in these things, Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine closely, Timothy, because by them you will save both yourself and your hearers. Have you ever lamented that you don't have an amazing conversion story? 
You don't have some grandiose Damascus Road experience. I mean, we all hear these stories of of men and women who are trapped in horrid and dark and deep places. And you think, wow, all I did was grow up in a Christian home and come to faith. Do you know, first of all, the person who actually shares that testimony would never wish that backstory on anyone? And secondly, it's not gripping stories that demonstrate genuine conversion, it's what is seen in us and what is heard from us, it is the fruit in our lives and not the story of how we came to have life. That is the demonstration. So as great as Paul's experience was, this isn't really the gift he wants to focus on, is it? The real gift is quite surprising. Look at verse 7. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now let's take this in turn to see how surprising this is. In Paul's mind, the gift is a thorn. The gift is a thorn. Now what was the thorn? Scholars go round and round about this, don't they? Was it a physical ailment? Was it some, something going on in his eyes? And that's why he writes with such large letters. Was it some ongoing temptation? Was it his continual persecution? Uh, some even suggest uh, that it was the false teachers in Corinth that he's referring to. The truth is we don't know because he doesn't say. That's actually a good just key Bible study uh, uh, hermeneutical principle. If the Bible doesn't tell you, don't insert your own answers. Okay? Just be all right with mystery. Was it in the body or was it out of the body? I don't know. This not knowing what it is may seem frustrating for those of us who like to fill in every blank. I would really like to know this. When I get to heaven, this is the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to track Paul down and say, what was your thorn, Paul? Was it in the body or was it out of the body? That's what I want to know. But the bottom line is God doesn't want us to know. Why? Because God doesn't want us focused on the what of the thorn. He wants us focused on the why of the thorn. He tells us that. Why does Paul have it? Paul says it twice. As if he's repeating it to himself to make sure he's clear on why the thorn is there. To keep me from being conceited. Because what is it that great experiences can do? It can lead to pride. Paul says, God protected me from that, gave me a gift. A gift is a thorn. You remember that, Christian, when your walk seems ordinary, when you long for some deeper experience, some unique experience, some emotionally overwhelming moment, or when you begin to evaluate 
your own life or others' lives or the church's life by some measure of experiences. Remember that. Ecstatic experience can lead to great pride. And the reality is some people have amazing experiences. The truth is, is that God's will may or may not be for you to ever experience something extraordinary like that in your life. But do you know what is God's will for your life? Your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 And for Paul... That was what he's focusing on, is God's will for his life. The gift is a thorn to keep him from being conceited, to promote humility. The gift is a thorn. When was the last time you were thankful for the thorn in your flesh? Because we could go around, we could pass the mic and say, what's the thorn in your flesh? What's the thorn in your flesh? And it would be different for each one of us. When was the last time you thanked the Lord for this gift? But it's not just that the gift is a thorn. The thorn is from God. The thorn is from God. It didn't just happen. Now, that may sound really confusing because Paul calls this thing a messenger of Satan. Satanic attack and the work of God don't seem to go hand in hand. But think about what Paul says. What is the purpose of the messenger of Satan here? Not just to harass. What's the ultimate end? We just said it. To keep me from being conceited. Now, just, just ponder this for a second. Is this Satan's great strategy to keep you humble? Is that what Satan's after? I just, what I'd really like is more humble Christians in the world. No. The enemy of our souls wants to deceive and devour and steal and kill and destroy. God is the one who promotes humility. And so... I mean, you remember Micah 6? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So wait a second. You, you mean to tell me that God will even use Satan and his devices to work in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus who was perfect in humility? Yes. Now, I would encourage you, as you're wrestling with that, this afternoon to go to Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 and just read them and make note of who initiates the problems in Job's life, who starts the whole conversation. Spoiler. The Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, why would... Lord, what are you doing? You know what's going to happen. If you point him out, Satan's going to... Have your way with him.
Nothing can enter our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, not even Satan's attack, apart from the sovereign hand of God and apart from the good and glorious purposes of God. Satan may very well be attacking you. You may be recognizing it. For those who never recognize anything as satanic attack, then you are deceived, okay? Satan may indeed be seeking to deceive, may indeed be seeking to get a foothold in your life, in your family. But know this, he is not the only one at work. He is not even permitted to do what he does apart from the Lord. God stands behind it all working for His glory and for our good and conforming us to the image of Jesus and teaching us to treasure Jesus more and more. Makes you just want to fall on your face and cry out for mercy from the Lord, doesn't it? God stands behind it all. The thorn is God's surprising gift. John Newton, who composed uh, the hymn Amazing Grace, wrote this to a young pastor named John Ryland in 1786. Trials, my dear friend, of one kind or another to prove, exercise, and manifest our faith, patience, and grace are necessary to us. Any affliction of the Lord's appointment seems desirable and a mercy if it may but be sanctified as a means to make or keep me humble and watchful. Thorns are surprising gifts, but they are gifts all the same. You see, there's a way to read 2 Corinthians 12 where the only thing you notice is how Paul gets through it, which is where we're going to get to. But you, we have to start where the text starts, and that is that this came at the initiative of God. What is it that God's doing in your life that's surprising even now? Where's the trouble? Where's the hardship? Where's the thorn? What if you started thinking of it that way? What if you started thinking, Lord, what is it exactly that you are wanting to accomplish through this? What is it in me that needs to change? It's a completely way to, different way to look at life. God's surprising gift. And then God's surprising answer. Paul's initial response is exactly what we would do, isn't it? Here in uh, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. It is not wrong to pray for relief. Sometimes God mercifully grants relief. But even when He grants relief, relief is not His great purpose. Sanctification is His great purpose in our lives. 
His glory and our good. Think about a child who struggles with reading, okay? Who just really struggles. And he asks his dad, uh, Dad, can I stop trying to learn to read? It is so hard. It is so overwhelming. The child is in tears all the time. Every time the child has to read, they're in tears. Maybe you've had a child like that. Dad, please, please. Now, it's not wrong for the child to ask, but dad sees the pain of learning to read differently than the son does, doesn't he? He sees the purpose. When Caleb was four years old, he was at a, uh, he was at a preschool. He was going to half-day preschool, and they had this little climbing thing on there, and for the first time in the preschool's history, so Caleb is a history trend maker, Caleb tumbles off of this climbing thing from the top of it, and his knee lands directly on a matchbox car. So it busts open, and I get a call from Susan reminding me how much she dislikes the sight of bodily fluids that are red. And she just says, I need you to go to the school and take him to the doctor. And so I go to the school, and I scoop him up, and I take him to the doctor, and I take him to the doctor. I have never, I've never been, I mean, there are many times with our children I have been in tears. We were in the doctor's office, and the doctor has to give Caleb shots in the wound in order to numb it so that he can sew it up. All the while, repeatedly, Caleb is screaming, Daddy, get me out of here. Daddy, Take me away from here. Over and over again. And I had to say no. You have to stay here, son. The doctor has to do this or else it's not going to get better. Now we got in the car and I somehow held it together there in the room. We got in the car and he's in the back seat. And I'm not even sure that I saw the road driving home because I was just flooding tears. Pleading, Lord, take this away. And God sees something that we don't. So if he says no, it's because there's something better that does not include relief. And if he does, there's still something better than relief. But it is a surprising answer, isn't it? All these things. He goes to the heavens. He goes to visions and revelations. And he comes back and says, I can't say a word about it. Oh, man, did I? it's surpassingly great. I heard all kinds of things, but I can't utter it. I can't tell it. What does he actually tell that God says? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Of all the things that Paul heard from the Lord in that time in his life, that's the one that needs to be relayed. I can go through all eternity and never know what Paul heard when he was caught up. I can't go through the next hour without knowing that God's grace is sufficient for me. 
It is a surprising answer. Grace, it's interesting this parallel. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see that? My grace, you, my power, weakness. You are the weak one, Paul. Grace, the power to sustain us, sustain our hope in Christ, sustain our faith in the Lord, sustain growth in humility, sustain even Paul's ministry. Now, you see, we believe that God's grace is sufficient. We, we too often limit that sufficiency to our initial salvation. We quote Ephesians 2, by grace I have been saved through faith. Awakening us from spiritual death, giving us spiritual life, of course it's sufficient, but too often we fail to cling to grace as sufficient for every day of our lives. Friends, we don't, we don't need saving from our thorns so much as we need saving from our unbelief when the thorns come. We don't need saving from our thorns so much as we need saving from the sinful response and questioning of God's character that can come when the thorns come, from our own pride, from our own self-centered worldview. The greatest evil in my life, the greatest evil in this room is not anyone's suffering. The greatest evil in this room is sin. If we don't come to grips with that, we will never see our suffering properly. We will always look for the wrong way forward. And without the thorn that God gives, without the weakness, without the sustaining power of God's grace, we just never see things God's way. We would never know His power apart from our weakness. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for, because, my power is made perfect in weakness. God's surprising gift, God's surprising answer. And then we come to Paul's surprising response, don't we? God gives this gift of a thorn in the flesh. Then God gives the answer to his prayer, not to remove the thorn, but to give grace. And so Paul responds, picking right up there in verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is not going to just admit that he is weak. You notice that, right? This is not an act of confession. Yes, Lord, I recognize I'm weak. He says, I will boast all the more gladly in my week. Can you imagine this being read and the Corinthian church is sitting there in front of him? And a man feels like he's spaced out. He elbows his wife. He said, what, what, did she, what did he just say that Paul's going to boast in? What? That doesn't make any sense. Do you know what we like to boast in? We like to boast when everything's going well. We like to boast when nothing's wrong. We boast in the nothing wrongness. We don't boast in the weakness. My goodness. 
And then he goes on, even more than that, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Don't be fooled, Paul is not just dealing with this. The word for content here, content is a fine translation, but it's not the best. The word content here means to delight. It means to be well pleased. You remember when at Jesus' baptism, the heavens open up, and a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Same word. Is that surprising to you? In the same way that the Father is pleased with the Son, Paul is pleased with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities? Is that not surprising at all? To be delighted, not to grin and bear it, but to rejoice? Paul is out of his ever-loving mind, but he's in the mind of Christ. That's what he has here. That just seems crazy. Tell, just use that language at your, at your workplace this week. I'm going to boast in my limitations and in uh, the, the, the way people insult me, and I'm going to boast in my uh, physical illnesses, and I'm going to uh, boast in the way that society is turning on uh, Christians and the church, uh, and I'm going to boast in uh, all, all of the natural disasters that happen. Sound good? Well, they usher in the men with the white jacket at that point, don't they? <laughs> they say, that just doesn't sound right. But for the sake of Christ, Paul will delight in these things. Why? Because they are the very means by which he knows the power of God. I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Why, Paul? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ, in other words, the power of Christ will not rest upon me as it could unless I am prepared to boast in and rejoice in my weaknesses. For the sake of Christ. I am content with all these things. I'm, deli I'm delighted. I am well pleased. I am satisfied with all of these things. Because when I'm weak, when all of these things press me into the ground, when they knock me out, when they lay me out, He is strong. I am strong. Not I am strong in myself, you understand. His disposition didn't change. The whole thing has been about the power of God in weakness. So when He says, I, when I am weak, I am strong, He means when I am weak in all of these things, I am strong because, verse 9, the power of Christ rests upon me. When we are weak, we are strong. The power of God isn't most fully experienced in the intense experiences of visions and revelations. The power of God is fully experienced in the intense experience of weakness. Paul's been saying this all along throughout this letter. 
when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me just give you a few examples. Chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, we're weak, to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ in jars of clay, weak, breakable, disposable jars, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, remember what that means. That doesn't mean sinfulness. That means we're just human beings. There's nothing special about us. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So though the thorn remains and the weakness and the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the calamities continue, no one can deny the power of God in Paul's ministry, can they? No one can deny it. Reverberating through the centuries is not the legacy of the false teachers. It is the work of the grace of God through the Apostle Paul who boasted in his weakness. The strength of his ministry is pounding away even today, not only in this place, but in countless pulpits around the, ne- around the world. Listen to two more excerpts from Newton's letters to this young pastor. Listen to what he says. This is 1787, a year later. How often have we told our hearers that our all-sufficient and faithful Lord can, can and will make good every want and loss. We must not therefore wonder if we are sometimes called to exemplify the power of what we have said and to show our people that we have not set before them unfelt truths which we have learnt from books and men only. And then a year later, he says to the same man, Your trials are not for your own sake alone. I am persuaded they must have a good effect upon your ministry to make your discourses more varied, experimental, and consolatory to your people and to qualify you with wisdom, tenderness, sympathy, and promptitude in speaking a word in season to them that are weary. What is he saying to this young pastor? When you are weak, then you are strong. I want you to know, friends, that to me this is not an unfelt truth. I have just passed ten years in this place as your pastor. I could not speak with more fondness about any congregation that I have been part of in all the years that I have been a follower of Jesus Christ. But the last 10 years are marked by my weakness. There is an indelible imprint of my weakness. Many of you know my body has been marked with physical weakness. Times I could not get out of bed. Times my mind was so fuzzy I couldn't focus, I couldn't read. Times when I am calling other men late on Saturday night or early on Saturday morning and saying I simply cannot be there. And then 
beyond that countless days where I have simply had the physical energy to shuffle to my assigned tasks, do them by the power of the Lord, and then shuffle off to a bed somewhere and collapse. Beyond that, and in the midst of that, doubts, actually in the midst of that, doubts about my ability to continue in ministry at all swirled in my head. The fight to not throw in the towel was very real, and my wife would be able to affirm how many times I told her, I just, I, I don't even know if I can do this. Beyond that, I have lost dear friends in these years. Friends that I thought, however long the Lord kept me alive and serving here, they would be here arm in arm. And they have walked away. And it is painful. Yes, we must keep going, but dear friends, I have shed more than a few tears over the people who have surprised me like no other and decided not to be part of this church family anymore. I have experienced the pain of being attacked by some from outside the church and sadly from some within the church. My weaknesses go deeper than that though, beyond what most of you would see, though I assume the longer I'm here the more clear you will see my, in my incompetencies, my limitations, my inability to, my, my diminished capacity to handle tasks that ten years ago felt like nothing to handle. I know it all too well, and all of that is to say nothing of the battle of sin that still rages within me, as it does with you. No church calls a superstar, and nowhere is that more acutely real to me than in the case of this church calling me. I am weak. And I will tell you that this boasting in weakness can only be done with God's help. I read, I read in the last four or five, six weeks your letters, your cards, your encouragements, your expressions of thanks to me words you wrote about my ministry here that I would never imagine to write, your stories of what God has done in your life. When I look across our membership role, I see people who are in Christ who were not in Christ ten years ago. I see the changes in marriage that God has brought. I see the changes in the very atmosphere of the church that God has brought. I see the way His Word is going forward in this church. And I can only conclude one thing. When I am weak, I am strong. 
Let's not be fooled about that. God gave me every instance of weakness in the last 10 years. Every single one of them. So that I could know his strength. God gives Paul a painful thorn. Paul pleads for God to remove it. God says no because there's something greater. And so Paul rejoices, joyfully accepts that call. Where did he get that resolve? He got it from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, the Lord Jesus was sent with a mission marked by the painful thorn. The weakness of human flesh, the hardships and calamities of life in a sinful world, the insults of His enemies, the persecution of death by crucifixion. The Father sent Jesus to drink the cup of His wrath, to face the eternal weight of punishment for sin He did not commit. And in the garden... Three times the Lord Lord Jesus Christ says to His Father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And the Father said, No. And so what is Jesus' response? He doesn't just deal with the cross. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. There was something greater than relief, something greater than not going to the cross, something greater than 10,000 angels rescuing him off of the cross, something greater, and that greater thing was to glorify God in the redemption of all who would turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave His Son weakness so that He could save us in power. You see, in the beginning, we were just a pile of dirt, you know. You want to know what weakness is? Just go out and look at the dirt and see what it does. Nothing. But in Genesis 2, God bends down and He breathes life. We as sinners were dead in our sin and transgressions, absolute weakness, unable to do anything to help ourselves. And by God's Spirit, what happens? God gave us power to be made alive. He makes us alive by His power. And even then, we are reminded day by day through the trials of life and just through the de- just through the. The, 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 the disintegration of the body moment by moment that we are weakening people and that weakness will come to its fullness and we will all be buried in a grave and we will be absolutely weak once more going nowhere doing nothing but decomposing and yet God will once again display His power And He will raise us from the dead. And He will glorify our bodies. And we will live forever in the new heavens and in the new earth. Do you want to know power in your life?
Do you want to know God's power in your life? Rejoice in your weakness. By His grace and with His help, rejoice in your weakness. For when you are weak, then you are strong. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you recognizing that you are God and we are not. That your ways are higher than our ways. That your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That what you say is often so opposed to our natural way of thinking. None more clear to us at this moment than when we are weak, then we are strong. Help us, Lord, to see the thorns, the weaknesses, the hardships, the insults, the persecutions, the calamities, the suffering of life as a gift with great purposes for your glory and for our good. We are thankful that you mercifully grant relief when we pray for it. But we are even more grateful that whether relief comes or not, your purposes are not thwarted. We thank you for your sweet and powerful and sufficient grace. Saving us from our sin and sustaining us in all of life. We pray that you would help us by your grace to respond to our weakness and to the sufferings of life in the way that Paul does. Help us, Lord. For we cannot do this without your help. Make us a people who boast in our weakness. Who are delighted with anything that may come in our lives. Whose purpose it is to display your great power. Help us to live. Help us to suffer. Help us to die knowing that your grace is sufficient through all of it. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ who was made weak for our sake but has been raised in power. In his name we pray. Amen.